Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, I don't know if it's just me that does this, but have you ever noticed that the longer you know an animal, the more formally you address them? Like, <laughs> okay, so the answer is yes. That has happened in every instance uh, of my pet ownership. Uh huh. Okay, well, what's the most formal title that you call one of your cats? No. Okay, so uh, all of the boys, except for Norm, have ended up with Mr. So Shrummy at one point became Mr. Boots because I called it his <laughs> alter ego when he was mad at physical therapy. Uh-huh. And then uh, Petey has become uh, Mr. Poop Magoo. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have gotten with with my, my husband's dog, Luca, which is now, I guess, my dog. I'm married into the dog. Um, <laughs> I now call him Sir. Or like I refer to him as like a spectacular gentleman or like, oh, it is a wonderful gentleman that has arrived. I love it. And don't you feel like he knows it? Like that you are really honoring him? Yes. Oh, I think he I think he has an awareness of the fact that I'm now using formal titles to address him as though he's a member of like a royal family. (laughs) There's got to be I'm sure that that somewhere there is some grad student studying psychology who is studying this phenomenon about how the longer you know something or the more familiar you are with it, the more ridiculous you get with nicknaming. And I I would love to hear why everyone does this. Uh, What do you, you know, it is, what do you think it is? It's like Midge, started out as Midge, named after Mrs. Maisel. And now she's Baba Omijo. She's like, I mean, she's got all of like Baba, like Baba O'Reilly. Do you know what I mean? I start singing Teenage Wasteland and it's like, Oh, Bubble Omijo, Miss Bubble Baby. I mean, it's like every crazy, and you know what I do? When the animal, unfortunately, eventually passes away, I put all the nicknames on the urn because they should be oh. known, they should they should be remembered as they were. You have to. You definitely have to do that. I mean, if any listeners know, we would love to hear why. We want to hear all about Why it. are we doing this? Why are we, Why did Shrummy ever become Porchetta Monkey Butt? <laughs> <laughs> Great question. This week, Molly Hayward, Julissa Arce, and Megan Gailey join us to tackle the following questions. Do Republicans read anything that they weren't assigned in 10th grade? How do we unfuck the feminine care industry? Who decides when we're dressing appropriately? And finally, can Mayor of Easttown solve the mystery of Pennsylvania's wacky accents? All this and more right now. Okay, let's get started with the news this week. Um, There's a lot of things that are going on, the kind of uh, sword fighting about the January 6th commission that the Democrats already negotiated with Republicans on, and now Republicans are are like, let's negotiate on this. I say they should just be like, fuck it, we're going to do it our way that we can already do it. We're in charge of Fuck it. Fuck it. Yeah. Do it. You can do it, it, so do it. Right. I feel like Democrats really need to lean in to any disciplinarian matronliness that they have and be like, you can't play with it. I'm taking it away. 
Now we're playing well, by my rules. Couldn't agree more. They have to realize this shit's not on the level. Stop playing like it's on the level. Like the Republicans are going to like negotiate in good faith. It's not on the fucking level. Yeah, I, it's it's tiresome is what it is. It's just fucking tiresome. Filling and I, my days with on, legislative ennui. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. Like do do a thing. I think every American wants to know what happened January 6th. But I think most Americans who don't work in anything that intersects with politics have other things they're worried about. And those other things cannot be eclipsed by this dumb sword fight. Like we will one way or another do this investigation with the Republicans help, without the Republicans help. We're gonna do it. I think it's just sucking so much oxygen out of the room. I I want them to do infrastructure. Fucking do infrastructure. Do it. People People need that. Okay, speaking of infrastructure, schools and how they have failed current <laughs> Republican elected officials. <laughs> um, okay, so I don't like to joke about failing schools because I have so many teachers in my family. I, you know, everyone knows that we fucking love teachers on this show. Um, they do. I'm, and this may I, be more about failing individuals than failing schools. A hundred percent failing individuals, willfully failing individuals. I'm just going to read... We're just going to read through a few people who didn't quite seem to take the right lessons from what they were supposed to be learning. Um, so Rand Paul, who is a doctor for eyes, he's he's not an epidemiologist. He is an eyeball doctor. He is an eyeglasses man. He is not getting the vaccine because he says he has natural immunity because he has COVID, which uh, it hasn't been established that having COVID gives a person natural immunity to every strain of COVID. And it has been established that the vaccine can give people an immunity to multiple strains of concern of COVID. Um, so it's just, it's a stupid, I, I didn't go to medical school. I didn't even take science classes in college. And even I know this. Like, if you're one of Rand Paul's patients, I would find a new eye doctor. There's um, not one medical expert who agrees with his assessment. <laughs> No, not a single one. And here's another thing that I don't understand. I tweeted something to this effect, but there is a growing body of evidence that suggests that men who have COVID-19 are much more likely to experience erectile dysfunction as a result of having COVID-19. So like, you know, I, I don't, I understand that erectile dysfunction is a serious issue for a lot of people. But I also want to say that if you are a dumbass who went out and put yourself at risk and you find yourself getting COVID, don't brag about that shit. Because underneath that, I'm going to be wondering about your dick. (laughs) And I don't want to. I don't want to think about it, Rand. Just get the fucking vaccine. Okay. But instead of, you know, getting the vaccine or educating himself, he has spent his time this week trying to get a tweet from singer Richard Marks taken down from Twitter after, did you see this, Alyssa? No. Oh my God. No, this, I missed this. Okay, so Richard Marks, 80s prom maker extraordinaire. Slow dance it out. Just slow dance it out. Yes. Richard Marks uh, tweeted something uh, that expressed admiration for Rand Paul's neighbor. Now, Rand Paul's oh. neighbor famously beat Rand Paul up at one point. Um, Richard Marx said that he would like to buy that neighbor a drink. So first of all, that's not even an original joke. People joke around about thinking that neighbor was cool. All Since the time. it happened. All the time. People, jo- people make a different version of that joke. Richard Marx was probably just the first celebrity that Rand Paul knew to make that joke. And he was like, hey, so that's how he's using his energy this week. Um, yeah. Wait, Social Aaron, media. can you imagine the man who sang the song 
wherever you are, whatever you do, I will be right here waiting for you. That he has been driven to say, I want to buy the man who decked Rand Paul in the face a drink. I think that's yes. hilarious. And yes, that was Cartman singing Richard Marks. That's, I I could read that Cartman impression <laughs> through. Uh, I would I would watch an entire episode of South Park that just was a musical featuring Cartman, to be that, honest. Singing um, songs about Rand Paul. Oh yeah, totally. Um, look, I, I don't think that we should encourage people to beat other people up, but Richard Marx's joke wasn't even original. And like, there are other things to worry about Rand. Like calm your, calm, fucking calm down. Okay. <laughs> Marjorie Taylor Greene is comparing mandatory vaccines and mask wearing to what Jews went through during the Holocaust, uh. which she apparently thinks was a public health measure, I guess. Um, and she's, you know, double, tripled down saying she's not sorry. Um, but she doesn't have any committee assignments. She doesn't really have anything better to do because of other crazy shit she's already done. So I'm not sure. This is how she's using her time. Um, congratulations, Marge. You got attention. Got attention for being the dumbest bitch in town. You did. Congratulations, Marge. We now all know that you, everything that you think is bad, you compare it to the only other thing that you are aware of is bad, which Except is the Holocaust. We can't even tell how bad she really thinks the Holocaust is. Right. She said that she wouldn't take down a statue. Was that her or was that Lo- Lobo? Lauren Bobert. Which one? Uh, she said she wouldn't take down statues of Hitler. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. MTG. Caroline saying, yeah, Ca- Caroline saying it was. So I guess maybe she likes wearing masks and wants to get a vaccine because Hitler is, I don't know. My brain hurts and I, I can't give her the power to hurt my brain like this. She's she's not important enough. No, but also it's like, stop calling it a gold star. It was a yellow star. I mean, it's like, if you're going to be wrong, at least get, I don't know. I guess it's not even worth getting some part of it right because she's just so wrong. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I just, have you learned any other history? Do you know about anything else that ever happened that you could maybe compare this thing you don't like to? I'm Is sure that- she could give us a whole earful on what she thinks Manifest Destiny was about. <laughs> That's true. She probably knows like a dis- like a upsetting amount about like civil war battles. Right. Like, so all the wrong, all the wrong ones. The three yeah. that they didn't lose. Right. Exactly. She, she knows like too much about, she's like the person who starts talking about the civil war. If you're like in drinks with a group of friends and you're like, whoa, yeah. I'm going to go home. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to be around this person. Okay. Here is another one that fits into this, this larger point that I'm making. A Wyoming state Senator who plans to mount a primary challenge to Liz Cheney compared himself to Romeo from Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. When news broke last week that Anthony Bouchard, that's the name of the candidate, impregnated a 14 year old girl when he was 18. By the way, this took place in Florida. The age of consent in Florida, both then and now is 18. So what Bouchard did was statutory rape not statutory Romeo. Why would you compare yourself to Romeo in this context? Girl, when he looks in the mirror, he sees Romeo. That is called reverse body dysmorphia. <laughs> um, also, has he read a book since 10th grade? Or watched because, one episode of Law and Order? <laughs> yeah, I mean, but here's the thing. Like, did he even read to the end of Romeo and Juliet? Because Romeo killed himself. It's true. Like, it's they true. both... They both did. And it was very, it was actually, it's a tragedy. So it's very sad. We should Um, send this dumb fuck some hemlock and see if he knows what to do with it. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he'll make a boutonniere. (laughs) Um, 
And finally, talking thumb Rick Santorum was let go from CNN after he commented to a conservative youth group that white Europeans, quote, birthed America, quote, from nothing. And that, well, yes, he gave it to us that the Native Americans were there, but basically Native Americans had no influence in American culture. Um, I got to hand it to Native American organizers and activists. They did what women and gay people could not do, which was get, get Rick Santorum fired. And I consider that to be a very important cultural contribution. I could not agree more. When I watched this clip first come out, it's like, you just wonder, you're like, that just came out of your mouth and it wasn't like, it didn't trigger anything. He wasn't like, oh shit, I didn't mean that the way it came out. He was just like, mm-hmm. He just doubled down with a head nod. Yep. And then he went on Fox News to talk about how he was being silenced. Fox News, the cable TV channel with the largest audience in America. That's not called being silenced. That's called weaponized whining, Rick. That's just... But here's the thing. Like, I think that, you know, when I heard the quote originally, which I think it was from back at the end of April that the that the quote first yeah. surfaced, um, I thought, had, did Rick Santorum pay attention to American history after he was past the age when they, like, shelter us from American history. You know, like, when you're in elementary school, right. you don't learn about all the, like, stolen labor, stolen land, rape, murder, genocide. They kind of save that until we're, like, maybe more— Tenth grade. Right? Like, yeah. Like, I think middle school—I think middle schoolers are ready for this. Like, we got to we gotta be, like, honest with our kids. But that was, like, a third grader's understand. It's like he read a third-grade picture book— and was like, yep, and then the white people came over and there was nothing here. But not even because in the if you had only gotten as far as the third grade picture book, you'd at least think that they brought you Thanksgiving. Do you know what I mean? That, right. Like, Maze. Like, Maze, right? I mean, it's like there is no, like the rudimentary book actually, I think, gives Native Americans more credit than uh, Rick Santorum. <laughs> Yeah, I, I also think that it's kind of funny that he would use the word birthed and then the words from nothing. Like the implication of the word birthed is that something wow. has a something has a mother, like it came from something. Like it's just, I don't know. I don't want to do He's a, driven you to the point of diagramming sentences. I know. I'm <laughs> fucking close reading a failed Pennsylvania senator that, again— Looks like a thumb and a toupee. And that's not, I'm not making fun of his his appearance because um, he's ugly. He's ugly because I don't like him. You know, like that. Yes, that, that is completely fair. Like that mean girls quote, um, you know, it's because I don't like him. Um, so anyway, all of these four stories, you know, this Wyoming state senator, Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, Wyoming's non-Romeo, and um, Rick Santorum, kind of drove home this idea that I've had for a while, which is that um, current Republicans do not read. They do not read books after high school. Like, I bet a lot of them are like Andrew Yang-style Catcher in the Rye is my favorite book type people. Oh, I think that's a good call. I think that's yeah. a good call. It's it's like the longest thing they've read since 10th grade is a Cheesecake Factory menu. Like, what have you read that wasn't at one point assigned reading? <laughs> Exactly. Or what's your favorite book that's from the last five years that was published in the last five years? I think that's a good question. They would all just be like, my book. Because for some reason, most of them get fucking book deals. <laughs> Who's buying them? I Who's buying know. them? Who's reading them? I don't think that they get read. No, they're, I mean, you, just, you know they're just propaganda for the bookshelf for the room reader. 
Yeah, I mean, completely, 100%. Ugh, but so many trees. Why do they all have to die for, like, fucking Andrew Cuomo's book? Uh, we have to move on, but first I want to toast somebody. I mean, I think that we kind of, like, imply a toast to her just by living our lives because she just represents unmitigated excellence. In every turn, literally. It, yes. Uh, Simone Biles, arguably the greatest living American athlete, possibly the greatest gymnast of all time. On Saturday, she became the first woman in history to perform and successfully land the Yurchenko double pike in competition. It is a move that's considered so dangerous that no woman has ever even attempted it. Okay, so the vault is named after a Russian gymnast named Natalia Yurchenko. And uh, it's it's the the reason the vault is named after her is because of the approach, not right. the actual, like, flipping. Right. Um, yeah. What did you make of, of this vault? I had to have watched it 15 times, 20 times. I couldn't get enough. Also, one, her costume that she was wearing, her outfit was very, very good. And at first, I was watching her tumble. Then I'd pay attention to her uniform. Then I'd watch her flip again. I mean, the oh, the thing I always think about when I watch gymnasts do that is like, how do you get the courage to do the first one, right? To like, mm-hmm. to do the first one where like, you don't know how it feels. You don't have the muscle memory for it. Um, but she made my day. I love watching women fly and then land on two feet. Yeah, she's an absolute phenom and just like an American hero. And I got to say, my feelings about the Olympics are mixed, but my feelings about Simone Biles are very simple. And that is, she's awesome. And I support her in everything she does. I agree with you entirely. All right, let's take a quick break. But when we come back, we have an interview you're not going to want to miss. And welcome back. Alyssa, I have a question for you. Yes, Erin. Are you one of those people that, like, writes your period down in your calendar? Uh, uh, occasionally. Oh, okay. So it's just completely useless. Like, you just don't It's track. kind of useless. I started writing it down because I'm supposed to take Prozac five days before it starts. So that's the only thing that's ever gotten me to take pen to paper on this topic. Interesting. I know people that are really, really religious about it, that, like, track it every month. Um I was not one of those people. I was like, I don't know. It happens like the 26th-ish. I don't know. (laughs) Um, So the reason we're talking about this, in addition to the fact that we do talk about this kind of thing anyway, because this is just how we are, um, in case it wasn't already in your calendars, listeners, tomorrow, May 28th, is Menstrual Hygiene Day, which is a day that aims to change the negative social norms around menstrual hygiene. So periods are normal. We all get them. (laughs) You wouldn't know it. What a concept. So we are really excited today to talk to Molly Hayward, who is the founder and chief branding officer of Cora, a women's wellness company that is working to change the feminine hygiene industry and bring an end to period poverty. Molly, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's so great to be here. We're really excited to talk about this. So firstly, for those who aren't familiar, can you tell us a little bit about what period poverty is? Period poverty is essentially a person's inability to access or afford adequate 
uh, menstrual care. So um, it could be sort of whatever product or means they um, want to manage their period, but um, for whatever reason, they're not able to, um, again, afford or access. And I would say access sort of um, using that term mostly geographically, uh, the, the period care they need. And this is a problem that exists the world over. Um, I first became aware of it in developing countries, but in fact, it's also um, a major issue here in the U.S. And, and in many developed countries as well. But Molly, more specifically, how did you first learn about the issue and how did it influence you to create Cora? Yeah, so I was um, traveling in Kenya several years ago. I was um, with a nonprofit organization that was focused on girls' education and women's health. And so I was seeing all of these girls, um, you know, being the first in their families to go to school, um, all of this kind of amazing um, investment being made within the community to make sure that they could attend school. So making sure they had uniforms and books and tuition. And this organization was even helping to build school buildings. And um, I got to know a lot of the girls. And one day, one of them told me that she stayed home during the week of her period every month because she couldn't um, access or afford, you know, a, a period pad. Um, and that just totally floored me. And, you know, it was really this moment where um, I realized, like, this is this common experience among all menstruating humans around the globe. And yet our experiences of that, of that experience can be so vastly different just depending on our circumstances and, and situations. And it felt incredibly unjust to me that um, her life would be negatively impacted by this just biological fact. Um, and, and so, you know, it, that was really the impetus for um, creating Cora. I knew that there could also be a better way for um, women in my own society to have healthier products that are more sustainable and, um, and have just a, a more modern brand experience and tie that back to giving um, to girls in need. So that's what, that's what we've done. So I read that you called the feminine care industry, and I'm using your quote, fucked. What's fucked <laughs> about the industry and what aspects of the feminine care industry are you most hoping to change? Like, how, could, how can it get unfucked? I'm really glad this is, this is, a, this is a, a, a podcast where we can say fucked. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it is frankly fucked. Um, you know, when I got back to the U.S. after that fateful trip, I really started to dig into the industry to understand my own experience of, of my period. And I started to look at, you know, not just the products themselves, but the ads, the marketing, the way that we talk about this experience among each other. And, you know, the thing that stood out to me first and foremost was um, that it was really hard to find out what was in these products. So, you know, I was putting a tampon in my body for a week, um, a month, and, you know, was going to do that for the rest of my life. But it was not clear to me what was in that product. And when I started digging deeper, I learned that, um, you know, Many of those products were made with synthetics um, or non-organic cotton, which is one of the dirtiest crops in the world. And I was just horrified, you know, not to mention kind of the what I would call the antiquated notions of womanhood that a lot of brands were kind of still using as a way to like, you know, hook girls into their brands. You know, they've this industry has really run on a kind of like hook them while they're young, uh, philosophy. Um, and a lot of that's based in fear, like, you know, 
touting um, kind of all the ways that they'll make sure that you never, that no one ever knows you have a period um, and sort of this like erasure of this experience. And so, you know, the thing that, um, you know, that I want to see changed more than anything in this industry is really the mindset about this experience. I think it's so damaging to have an aspect of your body that you hate or loathe or that you like really just struggle through and and everybody's body is different and it and it can be incredibly painful and difficult for some people and there's no denying that um and and that is really real but i think it's that perception that societal sort of stigma that i would like to see altered by the way that i think newer brands and organizations are starting to actually approach things mm-hmm. and you know when you were just talking it made me realize that you know a lot of men, a lot of people who don't menstruate and never have menstruated, have a complete lack of understanding of the way the reproductive system works in a person with a uterus. Like, totally. Com- and some of them are making laws. Some of them are making <laughs> laws about what we're supposed to be doing with those things. So totally. I think that like what you're, what you're saying about like removing the stigma could maybe help men be less stupid uh, about, <laughs> about the about the way that like the the female reproductive system how the uterus works like all of those those things which I think we see evidence of that ignorance in so many so many ways so thank you for doing that oh sure I mean <laughs> it's it's baby steps here but you know we're trying we're 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 doing what we can Now, Molly, you know I have always suffered with my periods. Several years ago, a friend told me about Cora. I decided to try it, and I was so blown away by how my body felt during my period. I mean, it was was literally such an extreme difference from what I had been using to how I felt when I used your products that, uh, full disclosure, I went and invested in your company because I wanted everybody to be able to try your products. So you mentioned tampons. Not and, and explain this a little bit more because I'm not the expert you are. Tampons, not regulated by the FDA, correct? Tampons are regulated by oh, the FDA are. because they go inside your body, so they're considered a medical device. Uh, pads are much more loosely regulated because they don't go in your body. But what I would say is that that regulation that happens, you know, it hasn't, it, it, it's what I would say, I'd say it's been pretty lax, you know, in terms of the materials you could use to make that product. Um, it, you know, those are not materials historically. The historically used materials are not ones that I would recommend putting in anyone's body. What is something, aside from that, that the average person doesn't know about the tampon and feminine hygiene care industry that they absolutely should? Oh, that's such a good question. I think it I think it is that that ingredients are very loosely regulated and you know I think that the the biggest assumption among women menstruators who um who we talk to who who are kind of like learning about natural or organic options for the first time is like well, I had no idea, and I just assumed that someone was regulating these and looking out for me and making sure that the ingredients were, um, you know, were safe and healthy for me. And as we know, that's in a lot of industries. That's that's not not true at all. Yeah, this is one of those those ones where you really have to, I think, read the ingredients, educate yourself, and and you know, make make your own conscious decisions. Hmm. 
You know, it's it's funny to hear about this largely unregulated medical device that women and people who menstruate put in their bodies once a month for a very long time. And people are freaking out about uh, the COVID vaccine. Yeah. Oh, totally. Totally. Um, yeah. So true. Yeah. yeah. Let's yeah. freak out about the right things. Please, let's refocus our freaking out. Okay. Totally. Um, so the tampons and feminine care industry is obsessed with the idea of discretion and that our periods are something to be ashamed of and hidden. So how do we break the stigma? Let's say that this is just like one average listener who's like, I'm going to do my part to break the stigma. What What should that person do? Well, you know, I think it's, it's, to me, it's very much to each their own. Um, I think what we've seen happening over the last few years is like this level of just like pride and openness, I think, um, certainly on social media and um, kind of out in the real world, but like captured by the media in important ways and then sort of highlighted. Like I'm thinking about um, Kieran Gandhi running the London Marathon without, you know, without kind of like free bleeding and like having blood on her pants when she ran over the finish line and like not giving a fuck. Um, one of the earliest, you know, posts that I think like kind of blew up the internet a little bit was Ruby Carr posting, you know, a, a picture of like a period stain on her sweatpants and um, being really like, this is very real. Like I bleed every month and, you know, like we all do, and I'm like putting this front and center. Um, and so I think like there's, there's kind of at that level of visibility, there are things happening that I think are really inspiring. I don't think every person has to like walk around with blood on their pants, nor like <laughs> do most of us want to. Um, but I think it's almost like having a willingness to talk about it and not just in negative terms. I think like the old way was sort of like, this was this thing that you got to like commiserate with your girlfriends about. And like, it was just this thing. And yet, like, I think what is coming through, especially just with this broad movement that's happening where there's just more and more acceptance of this experience as, as very like normal and natural is like a permission to talk about it in a new way and a permission to just be really open with it, even with your partners, like, you know, especially male partners, where I think before it was like, I'm going to hide this from my male partner. Like, they're not going to know what I'm bleeding. Like, you know, I might be like a wreck or I might be a total bitch, but like, I'm not, you know, we're not going to talk about it. And like, now, like the big thing is like period sex. We just launched a, um, a reusable disc, which is um, similar to a cup, but you can wear it while you're having sex. And so, you know, I think it's just like opening up more and more doors for conversation where conversation was not happening before or the conversation was overall negative. Mm-hmm. I think that's the first time in crooked media history that a podcast has had a period sex conversation. Yeah. I think that we made some history just now. Um yeah, I think, you know, another thing that I think about when it comes to like just the, you know, having a uterus that that bleeds sometimes, it's kind of fucking metal, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> totally. it's kind of metal. Like the, it's like pain and then it's like blood and then it's like, and then you get crabby and you get aggressive sometimes or you get tired. It's just, I think it's, I think it's more metal than people give it credit for. It's not like it's this. It's tense. It's like, yeah, it's not a oh pastel Oh my God, it's field. hardcore. Like, I have a friend who was like, we bleed and don't die. Like, where else in, <laughs> in like, that's like mythological. Uh-huh. Um, we bleed a shocking amount from a from a organ that when during non-pregnancy is the size of, size of a lime. Totally. How d- 
Totally. Uterus, what are you? What are you doing? Who are you? I don't know if you guys had it or where, where in the world you are right now, but I'm on the West Coast, and um, it was the super blood moon last night, yeah. and it, it was like visible at like where I am at like four, you know, four fifteen in the morning. So I set an alarm because um, my husband and I are kind of kind of geeks, and uh, you know, I got up and like you know, opened the window to to look out, and like I swear to God, like my uterus was like aching uh, <laughs> just looking at it, and you know, I think it's I think it's real, and um, yeah, it's definitely. It, it's definitely no joke. Like, like, you know, having these, having these parts, it's intense. It's an intense mystery. Definitely. Mm. And at least the full moon's in Sagittarius now and not Scorpio anymore, <laughs> you know, that's, that's a whole other conversation for a different time. Um, Molly, thank you so much for joining us and talking about this with us. We really appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been awesome. Yep. Have a great one. You too. Hysteria is brought to you by Viore. Tired of boring workout gear? Check out Viore. Viore's versatile and comfy products are designed to look great in and outside the gym, whether you're running, training, or even just lying on your couch, enjoying the fact that your two-year-old child is leaving you alone for five blessed minutes. I love that for Viore. You know what? That seems like a real perk of Viore. (laughs) It is. It's perfect. It's cut perfectly for lying down and just savoring a moment to be left alone. It's great. (laughs) Five stars. No comment. 100% great. That's the type. That's my favorite sport. The new, the women's performance jogger is the softest jogger you'll ever own. Grab one of these new colors before they sell out and check out the women's daily legging, which features a high waist drawstring tie and upgraded no slip fit. All things that are absolutely essential in a legging. Essential. Uh, I love these leggings. They are because, you know, like not everybody's the same, you know, so mm -hmm. it's like I need a little bit more room around my booty. So I size up a little bit, but then it's it's usually too big in my waist. And so now I just just pull that drawstring. And exactly. I don't show I don't show any crack when I bend over. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. See, so you have your baby and I have my butt crack. <laughs> <laughs> For guys, there's the men's core short, the most comfy lined athletic short out there, and the men's Sunday performance jogger. Oh my gosh, Alyssa, my brother, who I have given Viore performance gear to. Yes won an ultra marathon over the holidays. I saw that. That is so incredible. He ran 80 miles in the freezing cold. I don't think he was wearing his Viore core shorts because that would be dangerous. Dangerous. But, but he he loves wearing them to train, and uh, I'm so proud of him. I'm so pr- Viore played a role in his ultra marathon win. <laughs> Uh, plus, Viore is 100% offsetting their carbon footprint and reducing and offsetting 100% of their plastic footprint from 2019 onwards. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they're offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash hysteria. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash hysteria. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash hysteria and discover the versatility of Viore clothing.
And welcome back. Really excited for our conversation on today's personal political. Alyssa, are you excited about this? I'm pretty excited. I think it's going to be a really good one because we've all got stories about this topic and we've all got opinions about this. I mean, we have opinions about everything uh, collectively, but I think this one is going to be especially good. Um, Let's bring in the other two women who will be joining us for the conversation. First, she is a comedian and writer, and she has recently wrote for Pause with Sam J, which you can watch Fridays or streaming on HBO Max. Megan Gailey, welcome back. Hi, thank you so much. And I'm so excited about the show and I really, really hope people watch it. Is it like an ongoing thing or there's you... six? Yeah, there's six episodes. It's they call it a late night show. Um, so it's a late night show. There's no set, no audience. OK, so it took out all the bad things about late night. But there's <laughs> but there's really, really honest, good, funny interviews, point of views. Sam is truly like probably one of the if not the funniest comedian working right now. So, um, yeah, it's just my parents will go, we have a lot to learn. So that's good. That's good. <laughs> that's, that's a good review of the first episode. Oh, you penetrated the Indiana market. That's fantastic. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you have to. You got it. I mean, that's a that's a mark that something has actually made, made a splash. And also, like, you talk about late night TV, like, sets. When I was a kid, I literally thought – that Jay Leno was like sitting in front of a beautiful panorama of, of Los Angeles. Yeah. I felt so cheated when I learned the truth. Yeah. No, no pretty views here. <laughs> no. And no you know, skylines. No. And like the Daily Show offices, you know, it was implied that like Jon Stewart was sitting in front of like Manhattan. But in reality, it's like on 10th Avenue. I know. And for a while across the street, there was an exhibitionist who would flash them when they were doing their writers meetings. So (laughs) put him in the background. (laughs) I know. That would actually be kind of like transgressive. I think it'd be That's pretty New cool. York. That's Let's get, you yeah, know. The, the Big Apple. And then you should show <laughs> that, that guy and then show an apartment open house next door where 30 people show up with like giant file folders in order to apply Oof. for a crappy apartment in Chelsea or uh, in Hell's Kitchen. Um, Hell's okay. Kitchen. Uh, ugh. Up next, (laughs) up next, she is an author and she has written the forthcoming book, You Sound Like a White Girl, The Case for Rejecting Assimilation. Julissa Arce, welcome back. Thank you. Uh, You can see I'm getting way more comfortable being on the show today. I'm wearing glasses. I'm not wearing any (laughs) lipstick. I'm like, oh, it's it's the ladies from Hysteria. I can show up in my Selena t-shirt and be all good. (laughs) Oh, so now I see this. Can I see the Selena t-shirt? We have to have this in the photo. <gasps> that yes, that is incredible. How many like how many like thumbs up and signs of like approval do you get when you take that one out into the world? You know, not as many as I would hope. <laughs> um, but that's I think because my old neighborhood, I don't know that a lot of people <laughs> recognized her. On, you know, sure. in my new neighborhood. I'm excited to take out this baby out into the world <laughs> in my new neighborhood where people will absolutely tell me bitty bitty bomb bomb as I'm walking by. <laughs> and I will show I, I love judging a neighborhood whether they know Selena's face or not. I think that should go on Zillow. <laughs> oh, that should absolutely go on Zillow. Yes, I agree. Oh, yeah. Especially in Los Angeles. If you're yes. in a neighborhood where people do not recognize Selena, like you're in a— Don't not- move there. The food's going to be bad. You're not going <laughs> to like it. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Food's going to be bad. There's going to be like long lines for one coffee shop that's across the street from another coffee shop that has the same coffee but inexplicably short lines because it's a neighborhood of people who just like to stand in line because they like to do popular things <laughs> instead of deciding for themselves what they like. I've had Oh, it you're getting us today, that aren't you? I have, uh, very I have, familiar. <laughs> I have had it with parts of the east side, Megan. I have had it. <laughs> Silver Lake can eat my butt. Uh, eat, a, eat her butt. <laughs> Honestly, Silver Lake would be honored to eat your butt, Erin. Thank you so much. I don't know. You might have people lined up. I know. <laughs> and then I'll open my butt across the street and see if they come over. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know. It depends on if you have really good olive oil cake. Like, they have it proof. <laughs> um, I don't know what that means, but it was gross. Um, okay. <laughs> So today we're going to talk a little bit about dress codes. And this was inspired by an article I saw about a high school in Florida that digitally changed the photos of girls to eliminate their cleavage. So um, not even not even cleavage. I'm not talking about like, you know, exotic dancer advertising cleavage or, you know, OnlyFans cleavage. I'm talking like a regular ass girl wearing a regular ass tank top that implies that she has breasts under her tank top. <laughs> um, the school decided that for the purposes of modesty, um, they needed to uh, eliminate that. Because the worst thing, I think, for a young woman is for the world to know that she has breasts. What could be more devastating? What could be more devastating? Um, Alyssa, you and I have talked a little bit about dress code expectations. And like you talked about like getting blogged about for wearing flats in the White House. Has there yeah. ever been mm. an... Has there ever been another um, instance in your life when you've gotten in trouble for the clothes you were wearing? Yes. So when I first went down to Washington, D.C., it all comes down to Washington, by the way. I never got in trouble in New York or Chicago. Um, when I first showed up and I was an intern for Bernie, the job I had was to go from office to office and get signatures on bills that he was co-sponsoring, and they wanted me to bring it over to the Capitol. And then one of the people in the office was like, you can't go to the Capitol. And I'm like, why? And they're like, because you're not wearing a skirt and stockings. Hmm. And so it's not so much that I got in trouble specifically. No, actually I did because I didn't have on a skirt or stockings because Bernie didn't give a shit. And I don't even think he knew that that law existed over in the Capitol. But it was up until... It was like the mid-90s. It was like right after, I think it changed right after I was an intern, but for basically the entire time um, that Congress existed up until the late 90s, women had to wear skirts and pantyhose. And I would like any man to put on one pair of pantyhose in the D.C. summer and Ooh. tell me it is not mm. a form of torture because there was nothing I would get and there'd just be like pools of sweat when I'd get into my car because I lived so far away. I had to take a subway to a parking garage and then I drove the rest of the way home. And there would just be like pools of sweat behind my knees. It was so disgusting. Uh, honestly, the, what is it about the composition of behind the knee, like tight, tight sweat? It's just like under boob sweat. It is like under chemically, boob sweat. It's chemically the same. And it's just, ugh. Uh, Julissa... What has your experience been with, like, expectations around dress? And have you, you ever gotten, like, chastised or shamed because of what you were wearing? Oh, yeah. I have a story about this. <laughs> so, senior year prom, senior year prom, I, like, 
saved all this money to buy this dress that was like this beautiful dress. It was like a, um, it, it was like tube top at the top type of dress. Mm-hmm. And I have large breasts. Like I have, I don't remember when I didn't have large boobs. And this dress, I guess, over the course of the night, like got went a little lower and lower, not to the point where it was like I was exposed, but definitely to the point where when we took our prom pictures, my, like my, it was like all chest, like it was like all boobs. And I was so mortified of these pictures. And I don't remember if I like threw them all away or if I still have them. So I don't think I have them anywhere still. But I do know for a fact that I did not give a single person a prom picture and I forbade my prom date to give anybody a a prom picture because I was so mortified and embarrassed about this picture because when I did show it to a couple of friends, they all sort of made, kind of had the same reaction of like, I was kind of trying to get them to tell me oh, it's totally okay. Don't worry about it. But they were like, oh no, that is horrible. Like, oh no. You can't see anything but your boobs. And and now looking back on it, I'm like, they were just boobs. Like they're just boobs and they were my boobs. And like, you're welcome, everybody who would have gotten a picture of my amazing breast. And I just wish that, you know, when I read, when I read this New York Times story, I just got so sad because I thought, fuck man, like, Girls are still having to feel shame about their bodies. And they're still like 20, I don't even know how long it's been since I graduated high school. Not quite 20 years, but almost. And 20 years later, people like girls are still having to feel shame about their bodies. Their boobs still have to be covered up. And it is ridiculous that as a society, we have not made any progress in how we view women and how we treat women and how we value women and what we value or not value about them. Mm -hmm. And it is truly saddening and maddening. And I was so upset reading that story and and thinking, you guys made me have to think again about that prom picture that I had been so upset about. And Mm -hmm. now I wish I had them so that I could post a throwback picture on Instagram. (laughs) And I don't know whatever happened to those pictures. Oh, well, I hope you find them because it seems like it would be an empowering, like, moment of reclamation for you to be like, these are my tits. (laughs) Live with it. Live with it. And also, I wish I had that body again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Megan, same question for you. Have you ever gotten like policed or in trouble because of what you wear? I know like as a performer, what you're wearing is, is under scrutiny. Has, has that ever become an issue? Oh yeah. It's a constant issue. I, I have a infamous sort of feud actually (laughs) with a comedian that I opened for 10 years ago. And I was, I had dressed up. It was like a really big show for me. And so I'd worn a dress, I'd worn heels. I'm sort of like the opposite of Alyssa's story. I, I dressed up for this occasion. And then this man who was twice my age, reprimanded me in front of everybody and was like, do not wear that on stage. My fans do not like that. (gasps) Like you do, like women are going to be threatened by you looking this way. Like female comedians need to be in jeans and t-shirts and sneakers. And that's like the only way that female audience members are going to feel comfortable because if they're dressed up, then all they're going to be thinking about is if they're the guy they're with is looking at that woman in a sexual way. Whoa. Ah. It was bad. It 
was bad. And it's, um, and so that is something that it, that I hear perpetuated in this industry a lot. Like you cannot be overly sexually dressed woman on stage because people are not going to listen to you or think you're funny or all, or this argument of like, women are going to be mad at you. Mm-hmm. And it's really, I mean, now I dress up, I dress however I want to dress because I'm in a very different place in my career, but it fucked with my head for a while mm-hmm. to be like, oh, I can't present myself in the way that I would like to present myself in the way I feel funny and beautiful and confident because Mm -hmm. a man who's more successful than me told me that it's not good for my career. Right. And he was like imagining the psychology of women in the audience in a way that's totally inaccurate. I can't speak for every woman. I'm I'm no longer the official spokesperson of women. (laughs) This is a man whose closer is to get nude on stage. Okay. I'm Googling that now. Oh my God. Um, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Like that's, that's not how, I mean, that's not how I think when I'm watching a woman perform, I'm not like, is she prettier than me? I'm like, she looks fly. Like good for her. Good for her. And I'm not like sitting there thinking that whatever guy I'm with is comparing me to the woman on stage. Cause if that's a concern for me, like fuck that guy. Yeah. You gotta break up. (laughs) Why am I with this fucking loser who can't like watch a woman do something without objectifying her, thinking of her as like a total being distracted by her sexuality. Uh, Megan, like, I'm curious, like, it's, there are, like, pretty prominent female comedians now, like, yourself included, but, like, Natasha Liguero kind of leans mm-hmm. against against that. Like, mm-hmm. Nikki Glaser, like, will dress, like, really sexy on stage, but, like, sexy in a way that's appealing, like, for, it's not, like, porn sexy. she wants sexy. to dress. No, yeah, she just looks it's awesome. just, like, oh, uh, this is my body and I want to look the best way possible. I, I had an issue when I was doing a TV where I had chosen an outfit and I was told that's going to be distracting. That's going to be, um, what was the outfit? The outfit was a blazer and shorts that was over a, a bustier basically. And I thought I looked so good in it. And, and the feedback was coming from people that do have my best interests in heart and do care about me professionally. And they were like, we're just worried if you wear, and I have little boobs. Okay. Like <laughs> they, that's why it's like, that's why I'm like, let me show my little boobs. Like mm-hmm. no one, they're not going to flop out. Like it's, I truly feel like I don't, I don't have to wear a bra. Like I can, I feel blessed in this way that I can just have them flapping in the wind, you know? <laughs> and, and they were like, you, you need to wear something higher cut. Um, because we worry that it's just going to be about your outfit and not what you're saying. And mm-hmm. it, it sucks because it's like you you feel tied to it. It's something I think about every single night when I get dressed to go do a show. I thought about it last night. I was just in New York. It takes me so much time to pack because I have to think, what am I going to wear on stage and how is it going to affect how I'm viewed and what my performance is? And I lean into it and I talk about my clothes a lot. Like if I'm dressed crazy fun, I'm going to make fun of myself. I'm going to mention it to just sort of like break the ice of like, I know that I, you know, look 
like a woman who teaches ceramics to divorced people. <laughs> but but it's like, I shouldn't even really necessarily have to address what I'm wearing every time I go to do my job. But in some ways, it's kind of been beaten into me that if I'm wearing a certain thing, you got to you gotta open it up or the audience is going to not. I mean, it's, it's, it's tough. It's, I don't know. I, I'm glad I have good style and a husband who has good taste because <laughs> if I just had shitty clothes, I think I would have stopped doing comedy a long time ago. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't blame you. I like to dress up too. Um, I, I want to kind of talk about the other side of that, which is like, I guess as the pandemic has been winding down, we've seen all these news stories about women who are like, I'm going to keep wearing my mask. I kind of like that men don't get to comment on my face anymore. Um, and I've also seen people who have started, who normally would dress up starting to wear comfy clothes and been like, whoa, it's so nice that I'm wearing comfy clothes and men just leave me the fuck alone. So Alyssa, yeah. as maybe the foremost expert on comfy clothes that I know, <laughs> um, and as somebody who's had to be in public, like what's different in the way that you are treated when you're wearing just like whatever makes you comfortable versus when you're wearing something that is like expected by a dress code. So here's the thing about this one. It's really changed how I live my life, to be quite honest, is that when I always had to abide a dress code, whether formal or informal, I actually didn't act as confidently as I do when I'm wearing clothes that I feel comfortable in. You know, like when I'm sitting sitting at the head of the table in the situation room and my fucking spanks start to roll down. Um, I don't feel awesome. I don't feel in mm -hmm. control. I'm just like, I can feel it. And I just, it actually happened once. And I thought of the uh, Wanda Sykes stand-up where she calls her stomach Ethel and how Ethel fights with the spanks and the spanks start to roll down. And I was like, fucking <laughs> Ethel, man, why are you doing that? And so here we are, like, in these serious meetings, and I'm thinking about how, like, my spanks are rolling down. So now I have just vowed that I am never working any place ever again where I cannot dress as myself, which is, look, I, guys, you can make linen that is not uh, body skimming look very, very flattering and professional. And so this is what I seek out now. There are, like, four brands that I buy my clothes from. And when I put it all together, like, look, I do wear a lot of sweatpants and t-shirts, but... When I put my like linen, you know, combination Ina Garten meets Stevie Nicks, I'm like, Ooh. I am invincible. <laughs> and I think that people yeah. respond to me better because I feel good. And I'm just like, mm -hmm. I fucking sit down and I'm not worried that like, you know, my pantyhose are sticking out the back of my skirt. It's, you know, also just unrelated. I once had a skirt split on me that I, uh, when I was with President Obama, and they had to literally, the doctor had to stitch me up with pins to get me back together, which wouldn't have happened if I were wearing linen. All I kept saying the whole time was, it's not because it was too tight. It's not because it was too tight. No, there's the some fabrics. like, okay, okay. Just <laughs> suck it in and we're going to pin you back together. I, I diagnosed this skirt with not having enough stretch. How about that, Alyssa? <laughs> um, Julissa, you brought this up when we were prepping for the episode, but your your new book, your forthcoming book, is about assimilation, like fighting against assimilation. So I would, I'm curious your thoughts on how dress codes police assimilation and try to enforce assimilation um, on women in particular. It really all comes down to uh, it's not about the clothes that we're wearing, right? It's about meeting some sort of standard that someone else had set has set for us. 
and if and 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 who you know who who made these standards who knows right probably a white straight male made these standards that we all are trying to abide by and when we continue to do that then we can never we can never change it right and and Megan brought up another another point that made me think um, you know, we're talking about how like you have little boobs and they can flap around and like, it's fine. And like, absolutely. When a woman is bigger and curvier, uh, like I can't do that with my boobs. Right. Because people will absolutely judge me. I cannot walk out of my house without a bra on. Like, I just can't because people will stare at me. People will look at me and sure I can be like, fuck it and still do it. But I will still feel some type of way when people are looking at me like that. Right. And so, mm-hmm. and so, and you know, I, I had talked about how, um, like women of color, we are policed then in a different way, in a bigger way, more scrutinized, right? I was talking about sort of black girls and black women and how they aren't policed just for the clothes that they wear. It's also how they wear their hair, right? Like at mm-hmm. some schools, at some schools, they can wear braids or extensions. And yet at other schools, they can wear their hair natural. So it's like, what the fuck are they supposed to do? Mm-hmm. Right? What's the message that we're sending? And the message that we're sending is constantly that no matter the situation, it's not about the clothes or the hair. It's about control. And it's about somebody else exerting control over our bodies, over our image to meet some standard that none of us had a say in making. Like we didn't have any decision making ability in coming up with the standards, with this dress codes or, or any of that. Right. And so, um, I think it's important just to kind of like highlight that, that, you know, when it comes to women of color and particularly black women, um, like black girls getting expelled from school at, at, I think at some point I read that um, uh, black students are suspended and expelled from school at a rate more than three times greater than white students. And some of that comes from dress code violations. So it is, it is dumb to think that because someone isn't wearing something, now they can't go to school. So now they can't learn. You know, it's like mm-hmm. so counterintuitive to like everything. So, um, so yeah, it's, uh, it, to me, it is sort of about understanding that somebody else has set the standard for us and we have to reject that standard and make spaces where we can, where we can be ourselves. So, you know, I love what Elisa said about not working at a place where she can't dress however she wants to dress. And I sort of, feel the same way now too. You know, I, um, I remember when I worked at Goldman, um, there was a colleague of mine that was, uh, very thin and, uh, would often wear, uh, blouses that, um, I couldn't wear because if I wore those same blouses, uh, my chest would show, right. My, my chest would be more prominent. Um, she also once wore fishnets and, uh, I was like, that's pretty bold, you know, um, <laughs> Let me try it. And I mean, I had to go to the bathroom and take them off because the looks wow. I was getting, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I wanted to cry and like just go home and never go back because mm-hmm. I was so embarrassed. And I'm like, what the hell? You know, she got to wear them and, and maybe people were looking and maybe that was just in my head, you know, maybe the voices in my head were louder than the voices in her head or maybe she didn't have any voices in her. I mean, good for her. <laughs> um but I did feel, I do feel like there's often, if there's a double standard between men and women, then there is like an, a, a, another, an, an exponential double standard for women of color. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This happened at my high school 
all the time. You would see, oh, and because like in Indiana, it's like this, everyone's shopping at the same stores or whatever. And so a white girl would be in something, not get in trouble. A black girl would be in something, get in trouble. And it would, it would be, they have different body types or she's, she's black and we're going to target her. And that's an easier person for us to reprimand than this white girl. A hundred percent. You also, like you often hear uh, people who are like, doling out these punishments, wrap it up in words like distracting. Like yeah. it's distracting. Distracting to whom? Mm-hmm. Like why don't you learn to not be distracted by a woman's knees mm-hmm. or shoulders? Like how, what do you mean distracting? That's, that's so, ugh, it's, it's so gross. I mean, I was, you know, it's like, talk about this, like this being distracted. When I was looking up at this pictures from this yearbook story that were, uh, photoshopped. And then there's like this picture of these two boys in Speedos. Yeah, and I'm right. like, I'm sorry. That's, that's not weird. Distract- like, how is, <laughs> how is that not distracting? But a girl just wearing… What was this? What was even more distracting was the awful Photoshop job <laughs> yeah, that true. they did. It's like, I mean, I have… I, I know nothing of Photoshopping. Uh, and I'm pretty sure I could have done a better job of uh, mm-hmm. Photoshopping. Yeah, it was like pictures. MS… It was like MS Paint level. Like someone oh, the just one, clicked there was yeah, like a it flat was a swatch. Yeah. Yeah. It, it looks like they uploaded it to Insta Stories and like found something to put over it and then downloaded it and then like used <laughs> yes. that picture. Well, and it's… I, I'm not saying every parent of a teenager is doing a 100% amazing job, but it's like, these are minors and their parents saw them leave the house. Like, why does this one woman who runs, I was very upset it was a woman who runs the yearbook too, <laughs> think that like she knows better than this person who decided to wear this or the parents of this person that thought that, that, like, there was a mom on it being like, my daughter, I thought looked good. Like, I don't have any problem with it, and I'm her mother. Yeah. I agree with all of that, and, and, I agree with that, and I will say that I was definitely that girl that would pack a different outfit in my backpack (laughs) to change into because my dad was so incredibly strict about what I could or could not wear, which, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, that's a whole nother topic of conversation. (laughs) Yeah. We can get into like the, the concept of age appropriate clothing too, because it impacts like younger girls, but it also impacts like grown women. You know, I think three of us are in our thirties. One of us is in their forties. And it's a weird thing that I've noticed. Um, I think we all look young. Um, but I've seen people who are in their late 30s basically shamed away from wearing like trendy clothes because that's like dressing too young. Um, I, Alyssa, having worked in Washington as much as you have, um, ha- did you notice like an age policing thing happening with the way that women dress as well? Yeah, I mean, there's a certain dowdiness expected over a certain age that's like, you know, where where you just go to, what is it, Jill? What is that shot? I can't remember. I'm the thinking name of, of Chico's. There's, but, well, oh, it's, Chico's, it's like, yeah. you know, Tahari Outlet, and, you know, just make sure your blazer's boxy and your skirt's kind of loose. And yes, Jill Stewart. Jill Stewart. Jill yeah. Stewart, <laughs> Carolyn reminds me. And, you know, it is, there's a certain, um, youthfulness that's not really, that was not, that was not at the time really appreciated like 
bold colors and, you know, sparkle and all that kind of stuff. Though I do think it's changing uh, based at least in part on what we see on the uh, floor of the United States Senate from time to time. Mm-hmm. Well, Gwen Moore is a great example of a person who is in Congress, has been yeah. in Congress for a really long time, and she is having a fucking great time with yeah. how she dresses. Um, Nancy Pelosi, another person who's like, fuck it, I'm wearing a full head-to-toe pink. Head-to-toe pink. Matching I'm mask in- and all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Pink, pink AOC shoes. showing up with big old hoop earrings and red yeah. lipstick. Also, yes. Yeah, it's like it, it breaks the expectations that like— it almost seems like when when girls are teenagers, they're supposed to be like kind of wrapped in this little chrysalis. And then when they're of a marriageable age, they take it all out and they can wear sort of short skirts and like revealing tops for like six years. And then when they get married, they have to wrap it up again and disappear. Mm-mm. No. I okay. said I wanted I to look con- hot at my wedding. <laughs> <laughs> I have I a like, confession I to bride. make and an apology to my mom because I just realized how I have policed my mom and the way and what she oh, wears because I think that she's almost 70 and she shouldn't be wearing, you know, a low cut shirt. And I don't know where that comes from. Uh, but in the course of this conversation, I have realized that I have been doing that to my own mom and I should not do that. My mom should, I mean, she's fucking my mom and she's has lived a whole life and she can wear whatever the hell she wants. And yes. I will no longer tell my mom, mom, she- Please cover up. When we know better, we do better. <laughs> yeah. That's right. I, I do think there's something with aging, too, where there's this trade-off of like, oh, if I dress more conservatively and and not as flamboyant and cover up more, I'm going to get more professional respect, too. Mm-hmm. And those should not go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. You should mm-hmm. get professional respect based on the merits of your work. Which I I know that sounds really simple, but it's just not the case most of the time. Yeah, I mean at this at the same time, I think that there's a way to like. I think it's also kind of about this intangible ability to pull something off. Like there are people like I was just thinking about like Kirsten Cinema, and maybe it's just because I I don't like her, but whenever she's like she just dresses in a way that I find to be annoying given like her personality it's like it contributes to my thinking she's annoying and I've been trying to like untangle whether that's me having like internalized misogyny what do you think Alyssa no so I fully agree with you on this and that's who I was sort of referencing before it's that here's this is my point about I have to be aware of the places I'm walking into and there are some places that are very conservative like Julissa when you were at Goldman Sachs you know there is a way that kind of everybody mostly dresses and it is a more conservative sort of environment and so with Kirsten Cinema I mean I just don't I think that the floor of the US Senate is you can wear bold colors and you can express yourself. I'm not sure a flouncy skirt is what I would put on to go to the floor of the U.S. Senate. Like, I do think that there is a respect mm-hmm. imbued in that body that is, you know, like, just keep it a little bit more. Like, she could have worn a red dress, you know. She, uh-huh. she doesn't have to play down entirely, like, who she is. But I think, like— crinoline in Congress, I would say it's a risk. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think that's an interesting question. But, you know, at some point, wearing pants as a woman was a risk. Yeah, right. You know? So it's sort of like, 
I don't know. It's it, it's like things don't change until they do. And then there's like a new standard, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I stand by her right to have bad style. You know, like I think that's just what it, it's like. Listen, it's not the style I like, but girl, that's the style you like. And I stand by you not knowing what clothes look good. Right. Right. Yeah, and I think the quote, I may, not, I, may, I may not agree with what you say, but I'll fight to the death your right to say it. That's how I feel about her damn skirts. Uh, yeah. That's fair. That's fair. I think that's totally fair. And, you know, here we're discussing, like, whether or not there's a difference between, like, like, Photoshopping out somebody's like clavicle versus being, but versus reflecting on a choice to wear something that could be distracting, not because it shows off your body, but just because the style itself is a little bit like, whoa. Um, nobody, nobody's advocating for that to not be allowed on the floor of Congress. Like, I think, Megan, you raise a really important point. Like, nobody's saying, like, Kirsten Cinema should be fined, like, a non-mask-wearing you know, red <laughs> stater or something like that. But, you know, I do think that there's, like, there has to be, there's, like, some point at which maybe we can... Like, people can dress how they want to dress, but also have a little bit of understanding of what they're walking into. Like, for example, Jaleesa, you are like the, you you and Megan both had like beautiful weddings that had a dress code at the wedding. And like, if somebody had shown up to the wedding wearing like, you know, a propeller top and a a Snuggie, you might have been a little annoyed. I mean, the only thing that, that people were not allowed to wear a at wedding women in particular was a white anything. Like, oh. just please do not wear a white dress to my wedding. Mm-hmm. Like, that was the only thing I really asked. But yeah, I mean, you're right. You're right. Like, I did, I, there was like, it was a formal wedding and I wanted people to wear formal long dresses and for men to wear suits or tux. Um, yeah, that's true. I had no dress code. And um, people showed up in a cowboy hat, a bolo tie. (laughs) There was someone in a white um, blazer. And the reality was, like, people were coming up to me being like, they look crazy. And I'm like, I look the best here. So I don't really (laughs) give a fuck what anybody else is wearing. You know? I'm in Vera. Is anyone else in Vera? No. Okay, then case closed. (laughs) (laughs) Caso cerrado. Um, okay, uh, finally, let me just, uh, we have to wrap this conversation up, but before we go, um, let's try, let's, let's do this thought exercise. Like if there could be like a positive dress code, that's like, I encourage people to dress like X versus a negative one, which was like, don't show your shoulders off. What is like one thing that you wish more people would take into consideration when they were getting dressed. And I'll start to just kind of set an example. Um, This is a practical tip. Make sure that whatever shoes you're wearing, you're comfortable walking a mile in them, like a literal mile in them. Um, Shoe anxiety is real. I think I am, I am positive that Nancy Pelosi could probably run a 5k in the heels that she wears. But you know, if I'm going anywhere, there's almost nothing worse than being caught in shoes that cannot hang. And it has nothing to do necessarily with like how high they are, how sexy they are. Some of my more comfortable shoes are like super high heels. um, And some of my least comfortable shoes are flats. It's just like very important for shoe comfort to be a factor when you're getting dressed. That is my 
number one wardrobe thing. Also, like, if it snows and you're caught with, like, open-toe shoes, if you live in a place where it could snow. What? That happened to me one time. Oh, my God. Very Chicago? Quick, I'm guessing yes, Chicago. Yeah, very yeah, yeah. quick tangent. I went to a Christmas party with uh, my boyfriend at the time, and I wore open-toe shoes, and I stayed with him, and it snowed overnight, and the next morning I had to be carried to a cab because <laughs> I had no other shoes. So just, you know, take take shoes into consideration. Alyssa, what is your, like, number one dress code, like, positive recommendation? Positive recommendation would be do your hair however you want to do it. Do it in a way that you don't have to fuss with it all the time. Because the one thing that I do find distracting is when people come, male or female, whatever, and they have their hair and they're constantly like having to touch it to put it wherever it has to go. I find it very distracting and like, and it makes me tense. Uh, So I think that you should just do your hair in a way that it's just like there and it's sort of Mm -hmm. like a non-issue and you're not like constantly doing, people can't see what I'm doing, but it's like constantly this like touching and fixing and twirling it around your finger. It's just not, uh, that's something I actually kind find kind of, we're all fixing our hair yeah. now, as Alyssa's saying <laughs> well, that we're all. <laughs> See, it's like, you know, if your bangs have to constantly be put to the side, I'll put a clip in them. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's a good tip too. Less fussiness when it comes Less to fussiness. hair. Uh, Julissa, what's your number one positive dress code tip? Hmm. Wear a comfortable bra. Hmm. Good idea. You know, for, because I definitely have, had my share of really sexy, beautiful bras that are like digging into my rib or like the middle of my chest. Um, and maybe they just wearing the right size. So maybe that's the actual, that's the tip. Make sure you're wearing a bra that the fits right you. size. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great. And it, it also like, it's not a like, don't distract people with your boobs thing. It's like wearing a bra that doesn't fit fucking sucks. Don't, yes. you don't want to do it. Um, Megan, what is your positive dress code tip? Um, I would say get things tailored. Mm. I, I that's I like stylists say it all the time. Like if you are between sizes, you don't need to force yourself into something. You can go up and then have it cropped. Like you can have things hemmed, taken in, make get things to fit your body because clothes are not sold to fit every single person's body. They're made to fit like one person's body, and that's not the body most of us have. So pick what you like and then have it fitted to work for you. That is a great tip. Okay. Um, We're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, Sanity Corner. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. And welcome back to Hysteria, a podcast where straight men have been silenced since 2018. Congratulations, guys. We're coming up on three years of of silencing straight men. Who knows when the straight men will be allowed to talk? 
Um, this is the part of the show where we talk about things that have kind of brought us some joy in a time of confusion, because all times are times of confusion. It's Sanity Corner. Um, Alyssa, I'm going to have you go first this week. What is keeping you sane? You guys, I love Mayor of Easttown so much that I I almost can't handle it. Like, I hoarded episodes so that I could watch, like, two back-to-back. And it was so, like, I just can't get enough. I needed this show. Like, ever since Succession ended, I'm like, what am I going to watch? And then Mayor came along. And it's just, uh, it's just been a joy and a pleasure. And I felt so relaxed after my episodes were over last night. I was like, God, that was great. <laughs> so relaxed watching missing very, women be found. <laughs> very tense. But she found the women. No, I know. She did. I, I mean, it's, uh, I was, Mare was up there in my sanity corner. Do you have any wild theories, Alyssa? Any I, insights? I, I won't speculate because the last time I did this, I forget what show it was. Pfeiffer and I tried to, tried to break down what an ending to an episode was going to be. The undoing, maybe? It was the undoing. It was the undoing. (laughs) And I was just totally wrong. I was like, it's the kid, it's Hugh Grant, and he's setting the kid up. Now, it was Hugh Grant, but he wasn't setting his son up. Uh, No, but Mare, I just, uh, well, that's the thing that I love about the show is that at the end of every episode, you're like, okay, it could be one of three people. Like, it's not clear. I love when, uh, I love when they just leave. And I'm going to go back and watch from the beginning because another one of my friends said that if you go back, you'll see clues that you were missing before. I saw oh. Akila tweeting yes, about that. Yes, it was Akila. And I'm like, I'm like <laughs> let us know the clues. Um, it's so called guys, Mayor of Easttown. Yeah, Mayor of Easttown, it's fantastic. Also, as somebody who um, has married into a Pennsylvania family, the Pennsylvania accents in Mayor of Easttown are some of the best and most authentic I've ever heard. I agree with that as someone who's also married someone from Pennsylvania. Yeah, Eastern PA has a bananas absolutely bananas accent. Um, And I've seen people on Twitter saying like, why do they have Southern accents? Guys, that is not not a Southern accent. That is an Eastern Pennsylvania accent. Water. Water. You guys, I also married someone from Pennsylvania. This is wild. It's a big state. It's a big state. I guess they got good men there. (laughs) Yeah, it's the husband state. It's where you can can find us. Did anybody's husband go to Penn State? No, no, okay, but no. Josh's Josh's parents both However, went there. However, my mug, Penn State Forum. Okay, full oh. circle. This could be a Mare of Easttown clue. <laughs> <laughs> Jalisa knows the murderer. Oh man, I didn't I'm even pe- know the show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jalisa, what is keeping you sane this week? Watermelon margaritas. Oh yes, I am so glad. That it is watermelon season and that I can have it with my tahine, that I can make margaritas, that I can make smoothies with it. I mean, watermelons are my favorite thing in the world, my favorite fruit. And particularly watermelon margaritas are keeping me sane this week uh, when there are so many insane things going on. Um, and they're very easy to make. You just put a bunch of watermelon and a little bit of, uh, which ones are the green ones? Lime or lemons? L- limes. Limes. Okay. So you put some limes, um, just a, a little bit of lime, and you blend it all together. Then you use a colander, put it into a glass, and then you put a shot of tequila and a shot of that orange liqueur. What is it Grand called? Grand Marnier. Cointreau. 
Either one. Either either one of those two will work. <laughs> and then you just um, stir it a little Oof. bit, put some ice cubes in it. It is. Oh, and then you put a little bit of tahini at, at the top. That's good. Um, and they are delicious and they are keeping me incredibly sane this entire week. Thank you, God, for inventing watermelons <laughs> and, Mexi- and Mexicans for inventing tequila. And also, <laughs> no, it was not 818 tequila. I will not be drinking Kendall Jenner tequila. And also, Kendall Jenner, I am sorry because. She tweeted at me that I was wrong about the gift bags. Those were not her gift bags. She did not give gift bags to make guacamole with tahini in them. So thank you, Kendall Jenner, for not giving people tahini to make guacamole because that would be wrong. <laughs> you know, that's big of you to admit that Kendall Jenner was right about something amidst I mean, she's all right about the, the one the, thing. The bags, but like, you know, we still need to talk about her tequila. So oh, yeah. <laughs> it's not a that, You know, after she, I just… I was just thinking about like, remember that Pepsi ad where she was like, oh, yeah. oh God, she needs to give like, up beverages. Can mm-hmm. this woman learn? Can she learn? Don't like, you know, make your tequila. That's fine. Like, I'm not mad about your tequila. I, I am mad about you uh, putting your hair in trencitas, braids, you know, having, putting a sombrero, wearing those earrings. Like, you don't need, you can just show up as your white girl self to sell your tequila. Like you mm-hmm. don't need to 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 try to dress as the culture to like do it, but we're talking sanity. So back <laughs> to just have a watermelon margarita. <laughs> I bet when it gets like ungodly hot here, just blending that shit up and making it a slush. Mm, that's so good. So yep. good. Okay, um, I'm gonna go now. So my sanity corner is. Actually, another podcast, and this isn't like an advertisement or anything like that. It's just a podcast that I have really been loving. It's called The Turning, and it's a podcast about Mother Teresa, and they interview a lot of people that used to be a member of her order of nuns, and holy shit, things were crazy. Uh, it was Whoa. it was not re- – it, it, it really like – I grew up Catholic with an idea of who Mother Teresa was and what – um, what her order of nuns did. And, you know, I never really thought very much about the ways in which the people that were members this of the order good. might, yeah, might have been subjected to kind of bad treatment. It is like my, like ser- serialized podcasts or documentary style podcasts are real hit or miss for me. Cause it's usually like news or like smart people talking about the news or like on the media. And that's pretty much it. But this has hooked me. It's really well done. I love um, the host is does a great job um, putting herself into this story in a way that isn't like distracting. Um, and the interviews are great. It's edited together really amazingly well. I know this is kind of like n- a nerdy take, but I don't really like when podcasts are like overproduced and there's yeah. like too many music cues and stuff. Like a lot of true crime podcasts do that. And it's like, I don't need like dastardly, di- like sneak around music being played over this description of like this person. So yeah, it's just really well done top to bottom. The subject matter is great. The way it's put together is great. They do a great job hosting it. Um, and it's like a, a woman forward podcast. So if you're into that sort of thing, Definitely recommend. I think there's three episodes out, and um, I am I already can't wait for the fourth one. So that's my sanity corner this week. Um, Megan, 
What is keeping you sane this week? Okay, coming live from my sports corner. Um, it is like one of the best times of the year for sports. The NBA playoffs are happening and it's been very fun. The Knicks are in, the Clippers are falling apart. There's a lot of drama happening. The Nets, like the big three are playing together for the first time in like a long, long time because they've all been injured. But the WNBA just kicked off their 25th anniversary season and Sabrina Ionescu is putting on truly a clinic. Like she was a rookie last year, got hurt, is back, and she is going to revolutionize. She is a star. The WNBA is on SportsCenter with the NBA playoffs where it belongs. It's also the NHL playoffs, which I'm not like a huge regular season hockey person, but NHL playoffs are the best postseason of any of the sports. And my hometown Indy 500 is this weekend. And I don't, I mean, just if you find yourself in black and white on Saturday, you can say you celebrated it. You don't need to go (laughs) above and beyond. You don't need to do anything special. It's a very loud, long race. But maybe check in. Definitely there's some hunks in Indy car racing. So... Maybe some maybe some hunks to peruse. <laughs> okay, Megan, your take your take on sports right now was literally borderline Stefan from SNL. <laughs> <laughs> it's got everything. We've got everything. <laughs> We've got everything you need. <laughs> um, yeah, you know it's funny. The hockey thing is has become an issue in our house because the Penguins are playing. What is turning out to be a very interesting series against the New York Islanders. Um, But here's the thing. I have a very hard time with hockey. I love basketball. I Uh love watching, like, playoff baseball. I love it when, like, all the sports are going at once because it's like like a mini March Madness with less, like, less gambling. And, like, I, like, find myself, despite myself, getting caught up in Penn's games. Like, if I'm, like, walking past the TV, I'm like, I don't like hockey. But wait a minute. What's yes. going on? I love hockey. Really? I love oh, hockey. Oh, a shootout? That is exciting. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah. Or a sudden death overtime. Yeah. And they're they're exhausted. They've already played three periods. Hockey games are long. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's, um, you know, I, I'm not like a hockey fan normally. The whiteness of the ice is, like, upsetting to me. It's like, no, sports need green. Um, but, yeah, it's it's been like a, yeah, it's an exciting time in sports for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I might also add the MLS season going on. And I finally got to go back to an LAFC game, Go Black and Gold. And they are amazing. And if you live in Los Angeles or anywhere where there's an MLS team, you should go support your local soccer team because the MLS is kind of awesome. Oh, yeah. And in Portland and Seattle specifically, I know that those games sell out and they're crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and then also the National Women's Soccer League is going to have an L.A. team within the next couple Angel of City. years. Yeah, Angel City, which is going to be so cool. People are going to get really excited for that. I'm and if you're an LAFC season ticket holder, you can get, uh, you can like place a reservation for Angel City season oh, ticket awesome. holder. Oh, that's so, there you go. That's a great tip, Julissa. Um, and that's all the time we have for the show this week. Thank you to Megan and Julissa for joining for this great conversation about dress codes and staying sane. Alyssa, thank you for being my ride or die per usual. Thank you to Molly Hayward for joining us for a talk about alleviating period poverty and unfucking the menstrual care industry. And thanks to you, the listeners. There will be more hysteria next week. 
Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Rustin is our producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer and our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Our digital team is Nar Melkonian, Mia Kelman, and Matt DeGroote. Thank you to Juliet Beckstrand for production support every week. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated.